This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success, with your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. Welcome to Hitting the Mark. President Obama praised my next guest. So has Ariana Huffington and Michael Bloomberg. Today, I'm fortunate to have him on the line. I usually spend around two hours prepping for my guests the day prior to the taping. And then at night, I listen to some past interviews while on the treadmill. This was different. When prepping for my next guest, I got so sucked into his stories that I spent the majority of my day diving into the rich and fascinating journey of Scott Harrison. Scott is the founder and CEO of Charity Water, a nonprofit bringing clean and safe drinking water to people in need around the world. He's also the New York Times bestselling author of Thirst, a story of redemption, compassion, and a mission to bring clean water to the world. Harrison spent 10 years as a nightclub promoter in New York City before leaving to volunteer on a hospital ship in West Africa as a photo journalist. Returning home two years later, he founded Charity Water in 2006. In the 13 years since, the organization has mobilized over 1 million donors around the world to fund more than 38,000 water projects in 28 countries and bring clean water to 9.7 million people. Scott has been recognized on Fortune's 40 under 40 list, Forbes Impact 30 list, and was ranked number 10 in Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business. He's currently a World Economic Forum Young Global Leader and lives in New York City with his wife and two children. And out of sheer coincidence, through a mutual friend, I got introduced to his wife, Victoria, who is also vice president of creative at Charity Water, who in turn made this interview happen since Scott was already somewhat familiar with my work to some extent, just seeing my books on branding lying around the house. Welcome to the show, Scott, and thanks so much for making the time. Hey, thanks for having me. This will be fun. So, Scott, your inspiring story has been told many times, and, and as of late, also in your best-selling book, Thirst, which I picked up a few days ago. It's a fascinating story and a remarkable journey. Could you share a little bit of it with our listeners? Like, how did your career begin, and how did you end up running one of the most trusted and admired nonprofits in the world? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I'll start, you know, early on, I was, I was born in a very middle-class family in Philadelphia, uh, raised in New Jersey. And when I was young, when I was four years old, there was a, a terrible accident in our house. Uh, we, we got carbon monoxide gas poisoning from a, a heater that leaked. And my dad and I were lucky enough to find the leak and, and we recovered. But my mom, uh, after passing out one day, uh, unconscious, just never recovered. And you know, she became an invalid. Her body's ability to just function normally in the world ended uh, with this this carbon monoxide poisoning. And yeah, I grew up in a in a pretty sheltered Christian home, taking care of mom, an only child. Uh, I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I was I was in a caregiver role, really. And then at eighteen, uh, maybe no surprise, you know, woke up one day and said, "Now it's my turn. <laughs> uh, now it's my turn to move to New York City and to do all the things I wasn't allowed to do. Um, now it's my turn to take care of myself." And I joined a rock band, which was a terrible idea because we broke up 
couple months later because we all hated each other. Uh, <laughs> but I, I found uh, that there was this unique profession in New York City called a nightclub promoter. And if you could get uh, the beautiful people uh, into the right clubs, uh, you could make a lot of money drinking for a living. And, you know, a couple of years, what, at 19 years old, a couple of years before I was even legally allowed in these nightclubs, I start throwing fashion parties and music parties and pulling crowds of people together, doing deals with the clubs. And yeah, I thought this was the greatest life ever. I mean, I was chasing girls. I was chasing fashion week around. Uh, I was chasing the cars and the watches and all these things that I thought would bring fulfillment and happiness. And the next thing I know, 10 years is over. Uh, I'm 28 years old. I've worked at 40 different clubs in New York City over a decade. And my life is terrible. Uh, I have a cocaine problem. I have a, an ecstasy and MDMA problem. I've got a serious drinking problem. <laughs> I've smoked uh, two, two to three packs of Marlboro Reds for 10 years. So I have a coughing problem. Uh, gambling strip clubs, uh, pornography addiction. I mean, you name it. Uh, every vice that you might imagine would come with the territory um, had, had found its way to me and, and I had taken it on. And, you know, you had this really extreme contrast of a life that looked great on the outside, going to beautiful dinners with fashion models at 10 o'clock and going to the club at 12. Um, to then this life that, that was really rotting on the inside, you know, as often I wouldn't go to bed until you know, 12 or 1 or 2 p.m. the next day, um, taking sleeping pills to try to come down off a high. Mm. And, you know, I, uh, I had some health issues. You know, I write about this in the book. One day, half my body goes numb. Um, maybe to a listener, no freaking wonder. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I go see doctors as you would and get the MRIs and the CT scans and the EKGs, and they can't find anything wrong with me. Uh, and I just really have a moment where I'm, I'm faced with my mortality, and I realize, boy, I've made a mess in my life. And if I continue down this path, uh, I'm leaving, I don't know, the most meaningless legacy that a person could could leave. I mean, mm. I, I drink for a living. I get others wasted for a living. You know, I'm doing nothing to serve others. I'm doing nothing to serve humanity. And I also realized I'd come so far from the uh, foundation of spirituality and morality uh, of my youth. And I wanted to come home. I wanted to find my way back to that. So that was 28. Uh, <laughs> And one day uh, I decide I'm going to leave nightlife and I ask myself the question, what would the opposite of my hedonistic, disgusting, you know, sycophantic life look like? And I thought, well, serving others on a humanitarian adventure, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go and uh, serve people uh, without being paid. And, and I thought it'd be cool to, to go to Africa and do that. And... Uh, I found out this was very difficult when you're a nightclub promoter that gets people drunk for a living uh, because serious, credible humanitarian organizations aren't exactly interested uh, in taking you on. Right. So I got denied <laughs> by, you know, 10 or so famous organizations that everybody would have heard of. To do volunteer work, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, I didn't even want to be paid. <laughs> we didn't want yeah. your free work. <laughs> right. But yeah. I mean, I, you know, I looked toxic on, on paper, right? Right, right. <laughs> So finally, one organization says, hey, look, Scott, if you're willing to go and live in 
post-war Liberia, West Africa. And if you're willing to pay us $500 a month, <laughs> uh, you could join our mission and you could be our photojournalist. <laughs> and I'd actually gotten a degree uh, at New York University uh, in journalism and communications just because it was the easiest degree I thought I could get. And, you know, I was a C minus student, never even saw the diploma. I just sent it straight to my dad because I felt like I, I owed it to him for, for saving up. Um, so I, you know, on paper was technically qualified to, to do this job or this role. Um, and I said, great, uh, I've got some, some cameras, uh, I can write and I can't wait to see what amazing humanitarian work you're doing and how you people are, uh, I'm sure, saving the world. Mm -hmm. So it happened very quickly, Fabiano. I wound up a couple weeks later in West Africa, embedded as a photojournalist with a group of humanitarian doctors and surgeons who uh, would operate on people who had no access to medical care from a giant 522-foot hospital ship. And the ship would sail up and down the coast of Africa, bringing the best doctors and surgeons to people who needed medical care. Uh, and thousands and thousands of people would turn up and we would help as many people as we could. And my third day uh, in Africa, my third day on this mission, I was faced with the reality that uh, there was so much more need than we could, we could handle. Um, 5,000 sick patients turned up for 1,500 available uh, medical slots. Incredible. And we wound up sending yeah. 3,500 people home. And, you know, I wound up just falling in love with the work of these doctors, their, their heart, the purpose behind it. And I, I had an email list of 15,000 people. So I had, in a way, a little bit of a built-in audience. Now, granted, these people had been coming to parties at the Prada store for, you know, Vogue or Cosmopolitan magazine for years. But I was able to tell them the stories of these patients, of these amazing doctors. And I learned that you know, the same gift for promoting nightclubs, uh, the same maybe skill that could get people excited about spending $20 on a vodka soda could also be used to tell more redemptive, important stories mm. and also be used to, to raise money. And uh, I wound up doing a year there. That turned into a second year. And in the, the second year that I was back in West Africa and Liberia, I saw the water that people were drinking in the rural remote areas. And as I, as I traveled around the country, I, I just couldn't believe that there was no clean water. People were drinking from swamps. They were drinking from brown ponds, from viscous rivers. And I learned that half of the country was drinking bad water uh, and half the disease in the country was because of that bad water. So I really uh, started evolving into what I was interested in. And if you'd asked me in the first year, it would have been surgeries and medical procedures. Mm -hmm. If you asked me in the second year, it would have been, hey, we need to get people water so that they're not sick in the first place. You know, let's get to the root cause yep. of, of this, not just treat the symptoms. So all in, it was two years. It was an, a life-changing, uh, extraordinary experience. And I came back to New York City at, at 30, you know, with a, a completely new lease on life, a new purpose. Um, I had shed the vices. I quit smoking before I joined the mission. I quit drinking and I quit drugs and, you know, swore off porn and all that stuff, obviously. And, and I just, just wanted to change everything about my life. 
Uh, and, and now I had my issue. I wanted to help see if I could bring clean drinking water to, to people around the world that, that needed it. And what was, what was that one big breakthrough moment where, where you knew that this is not going to be a small nonprofit? This is actually turning into, into a brand with, with, with a huge following and it's going to affect millions of people. When was that moment where you knew it's it, now we're, now we're, now we're going over that curve, you know? You know, I think I, I was pretty clear early on about the importance of branding uh, to our success or to any sort of scale. So, you know, okay, the difference between mission and vision for us. So the mission was going to be, let's bring clean drinking water to every person on the planet. And we'll know that we've achieved our mission when there are zero people left dying of bad water, zero children dying in their mom's arms because they had to drink from a swamp. Zero women being attacked by hyenas or lions or crocodiles uh, at the water source. Okay, so that's the mission. However, I, I had the advantage of of being thirty. Um, you know, the term social entrepreneur wasn't invented yet, right? And I really didn't know any better. I was just hanging out with everyday people who worked at the Sephora store, or they worked at MTV, or they worked yeah. at Chase Bank. And I realized that most people that I talked to didn't trust charities. They didn't trust the system. Uh, I learned that 42% of Americans said they don't trust charities. And 70% of uh, Americans, uh, this is a more recent poll by NYU, 70% of Americans said we believe charities waste our money mm -hmm. when, we, when we donate. So I thought this is actually the bigger opportunity. The vision for this thing is going to be to reimagine, uh, reinvent charity, uh, how a charity should think and feel and act, how a charity should connect and serve its supporters. So, you know, we had a mission, but then the vision would be this bigger thing that we did. And it would require effectively rebranding charity to take the cynical, skeptical, disenchanted people and say, hey, take another look. We're doing something very, very different here. Um, we think we're actually speaking to your objections and the, the reasons why you're not giving. Um, so, you know, charity colon, um, kind of on the left side being the vision and then water being the mission. Right. And how did that, how did that come together? So when, you know, when you instill, instill trust in people and, and you, you have to, you have to, you know, change that stigma around of, of charities not being trustworthy. Now money goes, you know, to, to salaries. Um, how did you, like, how did your business model, for instance, um, address this? Yeah, well, the biggest problem people had was they don't know where their money goes. And I would just hear a version of that time and time again. You know, I give to a charity. How much is actually going to reach the people that need it? Is any of it going to reach the people right. that need it? And I thought, well, what if we could make a promise that 100% of the money would reach the people that need it? What if which, is could, <laughs> which is crazy. Which is crazy. And it really, on, on, uh, on face value, it's a really dumb idea. Because if... Every donation goes straight to, uh, in our case, building water projects around the world. Well, then how would you ever pay for you know, your own salary or your team's right. salary or right. your office costs? So I, I deeply believe that I could find a very small group of people and get them excited about that, about paying for the unsexy overhead costs if they knew, again, that they were opting in to pay for those and if we were able to run a really efficient organization. So I, I literally opened up two bank accounts with different numbers 13 years ago 
and said, 100% of the public's money is only going to go in this bank account and it's only going to build water projects that we are going to prove. We're going to use photos and GPS and show satellite images. We're going to put trackers on the drilling rig so people can just feel so connected to 100% of that money. Mm-hmm. In the other bank account, I'm going to go to entrepreneurs and business leaders and say, hey, look, we have overhead costs. Do you mind covering those? Um, because I can get you a great return on that investment and you're going to help me uh, build a movement of clean water and restore people's faith in charity. So that, that was idea number one. The idea, the second idea was really just proof um, and, and finding ways to connect donors to the impact of their donations. So if a, if a, a six-year-old girl gave $8.15, could we track that $8.15 to a, a village in Malawi and show her a picture of the project that that $8.15 went and supported. And could we even show her the names of the other people who made up the rest of that water project? Right. So proof just became this, this core pillar. Um, the third was really building an epic brand. And, you know, 13 years ago, if we were doing this podcast, um, I would have told you that branding was going to be key to our success. And I would have quoted uh, from the New York Times, a writer named Nick Kristoff, who said that toothpaste is peddled with far more sophistication than all the world's life-saving causes. <laughs> and yes, you know, I, and can I see thought that. it's yeah. true and yeah. it's broken, right? Colgate yeah. and Crest are better marketers. Doritos can spend, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, in junk food companies, right. literally killing us and our children. Right. But yet the most powerful life-saving Causes on the planet often have anemic brands. In fact, there's almost a poverty mentality. Uh, you know, if our brand looks too good, maybe people won't want to give us money. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, so so you you saw a lot of beige out there in mm-hmm. the sector. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, drop panel ceilings, fluorescent lights. Uh, you know, cubby holes with the uh, the fuzzy linings mm-hmm. on them. Um, and I thought, man, I mean. The, the brands that we all look up to, the epic brands, the Nikes, the Virgins, the Apples, the Teslas, these are imaginative, inspiring brands. These are brands that don't use shame and guilt to peddle their wares. These are, are brands that you know, try to call forth greatness and innovation and beauty. And I just didn't see that in charities. I saw charities trying to make feel, people feel really bad about how much money they had and then guilting and shaming them into giving. Mm-hmm. And while that may work in a short term for fundraising, it's not how you build a brand. Nobody goes and tells their friends about the charity that made them feel shameful or guilty. Um, but you do go tell your friends about something that you're, you're inspired by. So brand was really going to be this this third core pillar, and that would look like uh, attention to detail, valuing design, trying to hire the best designers and convince them not to work at Apple, uh, but to but to work at a place like Charity Water and use their design skills for good. Unheard of, um, yeah. And then and then the 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 last thing was just making sure we worked with local partners to get the work done. I thought for our actual work providing clean water to people around the world to be culturally appropriate and for it to be sustainable, it had to be led by the people in each of these countries. So by Ethiopians and Ethiopian, by Kenyans and Kenyan, by Indians in India, um, our job would be create a global movement, energy and awareness around the clean water crisis. Um, use 100% of the money and track those dollars, but then empower the locals uh, now in, in 29 countries to lead their communities and their countries forward with our cop- capital. 
Right. No, amazing. And, and obviously, you care deeply about design, right? Your, your organization has been praised for its imaginative approach to branding. And uh, I, just, I just got a chance to review your 86-page um, brand guide last night. And it states um, the following. It states, we believe a strong sense of brand can set us apart and amplify every message we send. Very much to what you just said. But when you started, you had pretty much zero money. Zero uh, experience, right? And not only the non-profit space. But we had space. good taste. But that's good right. Taste. That's right. And that can set it apart, right? And but you you didn't have experience branding necessarily, right? I mean, as a nightclub no. promoter, to a certain extent, right? Flyers, stuff like that. But people don't care that much, right? But it's how did how did then in the end the visual brand come together? How did you arrive at that really now iconic bright yellow water can logo? And and, and what was that journey like? Well, so the first person that I hired was someone to help me go and work on the water projects, go and find the partners and figure out who we should send this money to to get impact. The second person I hired was a creative director, uh, a, a designer. I later married her, so that's the story <laughs> for the book. Good choice. Uh, and she became my <laughs> wife. But, but you know, for, for a charity to make an early hire um, as a designer is unheard of. Yeah. I mean, that's normally hire 30. Yeah. That's hire 60. Sometimes it's, it's hire never. Right. Uh, you know, you hire some agency and you shop the whole thing out. So I just believe that, you know, brand would need to be the core of this thing and it should be the second person. So when I hired Vic, she was working at an ad agency. Uh, she was working on Toyota campaigns and Clinique and she just, she, she hated it. Her, her agency's motto was create desire. And it was mm -hmm. basically sell people more things that they don't even want, um, certainly don't need. Um, and then we make our clients rich. So she had come across Charity Water. Uh, I had I'd, I'd done this outdoor exhibition in New York City where I put dirty water from New York City ponds and rivers into big plexi tanks. And I showed people what it would look like if we had to drink the same water that people were drinking around the world. That's a great campaign, and, yeah. Yeah, and she volunteered at that. And at the end, she said, um, hey, I'm a designer. Can I be useful? I'm like, absolutely. Can you show up tomorrow? And she was uh, an animator. She was a graphic designer. She wound up teaching herself how to shoot, edit, hmm. uh, video, um, and just really the, the all-in-one designer, um, then VP of creative later. So it was really uh, the three of us at the beginning kind of concepting these campaigns. How do we raise awareness? How do we, um, how do we get people to think differently about water. So I think it was just valuing that really early on. Um, and then she wound up staying with the org for, for nine years and building up an amazing team and an amazing creative culture. Uh, um, you know, it's interesting. So my wife, Victoria, left uh, a couple years ago. She's now a brand consultant and is starting her own uh, business, just trying to teach brand to, to other startups and other nonprofits. Right. And, you know, she walked in the office the other day and there's a hundred people here and we have, we have a stunning 35 square foot, 35,000 square foot office in Tribeca, New York. And they're huge 14 foot light boxes and, um, donated TV screens with images and with video loops. And, you know, she walked in and was kind of like, oh my gosh, I don't really know a lot of the people anymore. And, you know, the design looks even better than I ever remembered. I'm like, yeah, that's the testament to the culture, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we just, uh, we posted a job for a graphic designer at Charity Water. I think we had 480 people apply. Oh my God. You know, at a, at a yeah. nonprofit. So that's really the culture. So it was valued at the top. It still is. 
Um, I'm still pixel pushing every once in a while. I'll go over and I'll change a color or, um, you know, complain about a font. Um, but, but I think that's the difference because a lot of, a lot of nonprofits are run by academics or they're run by, um, in a much more institutional way that doesn't value the creativity and the aesthetic. Yeah. So it was, it was two things. It was having the good taste. I couldn't do it myself and then hiring and then putting the money, uh, in that direction for years that's helped. The jerry can you asked about, I absolutely resisted that. <laughs> I didn't like the yellow jerry can. I didn't think anybody would know what it meant. And Vic always saw it as our as our Nike swoosh symbol. You know, this is the symbol for water throughout um, so many countries around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the jerry can is not going away. Um, and we want the water in every single jerry can in the world to be clean water. And you know, it was the yellow can, and uh, I, I argued about it for maybe a year, and then uh, oh wow, you know, in the vein of my wife Persistent. is typically right, um, <laughs> and and it turned out that that she was, you know, and it's been a it's been a distinctive mark for us. Absolutely, and it's you know, it's it's a little bit like like the name where it feels at first a little generic, and then you can own it, right? And and you own the entire history that's behind that's behind that 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 simple it, image. Right? It really is. I mean, I laugh about that, right? It's a charity that helps people get water. I mean, at least you know what we do. So let's talk um, about that. Let's talk about this because I wonder if you, it, was it intentionally picked to allow for an extension into anything else than yeah. water at some point? Yeah. Okay. So that's why yeah. the core. So Charity Colon would be the core entity, i.e. the vision, um, this, this, uh, this effort to bring in new donors, to inspire generosity, uh, to speak to cynicism around charity, right? Build this huge community yeah. of givers who wanted to help people, uh, help end suffering around the world. And then water would be the first initiative, right? We were going to do that. We were going to live out the vision through the mission. How long could it take, water. right? A C- couple of years right. and you should oh be gosh, done with yeah. water. So, Check. <laughs> oh, I, I thought like, you know, I thought the next year I was going to imitate <laughs> Richard Branson and I was going to launch... Charity education, charity health, charity malaria, charity justice. Well, I'm glad you shelter. didn't. We're all glad you I didn't. Actually registered, I actually registered a bunch of uh, domain names. I think I still own well, charityeducation.com. Scott, charity all, the ones, all the ones you haven't registered, they will be registered by the time that the podcast airs, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're well, going to sell it to you for millions of dollars, Scott. That's what they're going to do. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, so that was the idea at the beginning. And then, you know, as as it happens, first of all, you realize how difficult it is to do one thing well. Mm-hmm. Um, also, by the way, if you've been there, 663 million human beings without clean water. So we just passed through 10 million people that we've helped. So that's 10 million of 663 million. So 166th of the problem or 1.5%. Yeah. So we're at the very beginning of this journey and our impact, we hope. Um, and the beauty is, as we got deeper into our first mission, our first initiative, Charity Water, we learned that water impacted just about every other thing we were interested in doing. It impacted when women and girls and gender equality. Um, it is only the women and the girls that are the ones getting the water. It radically impacts health. Uh, 50% of the disease throughout the developing world caused by bad water and a lack of sanitation. It dramatically improved education uh, as we could bring clean water and sanitation to the one in three schools worldwide mm. that don't have clean water. I mean, imagine sending your child to a school with no clean water and no toilet. Right. Imagine sending your teenage girl to that school. Well, she doesn't go four or five days a month. 
to a school without water and toilets and falls behind in her studies. So water became like this onion that the deeper we understood uh, the importance and significance, the more we realized we were accomplishing so many other things. We were ending so many other aspects of human suffering by doing the one thing well. So 13 years later, um, there's still no plan to brand extend. Um, but, you know, as, as generic as the name is, I think we've been able to own it, um, you know, through campaigns and through design and through, I mean, gosh, we've probably made Absolutely. 800 to 1,000 videos in-house, you know, over the last uh, decade or so. I feel like I watched 100 of those yesterday. <laughs> you get sucked <laughs> into it. Old, <laughs> some of the old ones are a little painful, but... Yeah, I, I don't think uh, I don't think uh, my Google search got me that far. So um, you, you <laughs> it's all good. Um, let's talk about storytelling a little bit more. I mean, it's it's key in a nonprofit world. Um, we talked about that that most lead by using tools of shame and guilt, um, but hopeful storytelling, in contrast, has always been a tremendously important um, aspect of charity water. And and where other people use statistics, which are a far contrast, you know, to personal stories, which lead to empathy more naturally. Um, you guys, you tell unbelievably um, sophisticated and personal stories. And I, I heard one of those, and I think it was on MentorBox, um, of, of giving a drilling rig a Twitter account and mounting it with cameras to tell its story while raising funds for it. And things did not always go quite as planned uh, with, with the rig's uh, journey. But you still shared those hiccups or failures with your tribe. Can you tell us that story and perhaps how other brands can learn from that transparent way that Charity Water tells its stories? Yeah, gosh, I feel like I'm going to be careful not to use you know any of the buzzwords. Um, it's a branding like podcast. Go for or, it. Or yeah, authenticity. <laughs> or I did empathy. Or any of that. It's open. The doors are open. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if you're if you're trying to solve for trust, um, people just want to know how things really are out there. And if you present a picture of um, everything works all the time and everything always goes well, well, people just know that's not how life works. That's not how any company works. That's not how any organization works. And you know, I think over, gosh, 13 years, we've just been honest and vulnerable about some of our challenges, whether they're broken wells, uh, out there, whether it's drilling wells and not being able to serve communities, like you mentioned. So, in that specific uh, story, yeah, we we had uh, we had crowdfunded a well deep in the Central African Republic for a tribe of Bayaka pygmies. Um, this is a marginalized tribe. It's an oppressed group of people. They've never had clean water before, and. In fact, the well driller that we were working with had gone in three times before and failed. Um, a couple by hand, not finding water deep enough, once with a, a small rig. And he was sure that this time, with the proper equipment, with a million-dollar drilling rig and our money, he would be able to go and succeed. And, and we really believed him, and we got thousands of people to learn about the Bayaka tribe about their hero heroism and their their courage and how they take care of their kids and what the families are like and the the just just how extraordinary these people are yeah and we asked people to give money and said hey please please help and we promised that if we raised enough money uh, to help them then we would fly back uh 
and we would drill the well live via satellite so people could see the payoff. And what happened was we got another dry well. We tried and we tried and we tried for a couple days and we just broadcast the failure. Um, we didn't sugarcoat it. Uh, it wasn't a happy ending. We wound up pulling away, leaving the village no better off than we found them and perhaps worse because we'd raised a sense of, of hope. Mm -hmm. And we'd lit about $15,000 on fire uh, in front of our supporters. But it was, it was one of the most popular videos we ever shared because it was true. And we've all been in car accidents. We've all uh, maybe made a bad investment or a bad you know, decision. And, and this wasn't for the lack of trying. This was actually a tenacity and a courage that was to be commended by our local partner in the, in the effort of never giving up on these people, of never giving up on this tribe. Um, but this time didn't work and all this money was lost. And I just remember the, the, the emails coming in, um, you know, it was sympathy, but it was, it was more respect. Like, wow, we respect you guys for just being honest with us, right. for letting us know how hard it is out there to do what you're trying to do by not sugarcoating it. And we will continue to give to Charity Water. We know it didn't work this time, but if, if you want to go back, we're, we're in it again. And we actually did go back a year later and we were able to finally successfully drill um, for that community in Mwale um, with, with even more and different equipment um, and then send that video around of, of eventual success. But I think just being willing to live with the reality of the moment and, and to share that uh, built, built a lot of uh, community. And that's and that's radical transparency, right? It, it, which kind of by now even became a little bit a, a buzzword. But for you guys, that's something that that is really entrenched in how you in how you actually. Yeah, run I mean, that. I was I was saying that you know 13 years ago on stage, and you know to anybody that would listen, radical transparency, hyper transparency. I mean, you know, I, I just believe that the great businesses and the certainly the great nonprofits in the world, um, they will thrive on being honest and having integrity on sharing their successes, sharing their challenges, and also sharing their failures. Absolutely. And it's also important to you to share the impact any specific group investing into your organization has, right? So if, if it goes right or wrong, but, you know, just to show what is happening. So data plays a huge part in, in Charity Water. I, I watched your keynote from Inbound last year, and you promised to share the impact that specific audience, if, if, if they would donate, right? Um, what they, The impact that they would have on communities after five years. And now the way that I actually first learned about Charity Water was the campaign you did together with Depeche Mode during their Delta Machine tour. And obviously a huge audience around the world. I believe um, a total of two million people attended once that tour was over. And the partnership continued in the spirit tour a few a few years back did you have a system in place back then to track how much let's say the Copenhagen audience contributed versus the Paris audience or how many wells were built based on this one tour yeah you know the the Depeche money uh, the Depeche mode money was actually raised uh, primarily through um, the watch uh, say, right? a, a partnership with Hublot, yeah, yeah. A partnership with yeah. Hublot. However, um, they did have a campaign online, and, and I remember um, all the band members donated their birthdays, and people, the fans, were able to contribute to their birthdays. Oh, talk about and that a little bit. Yeah, talk talk about the, yeah. this initiative because that's something that most people are most probably not familiar with, and it's such a great, it's such a great. So we're getting sure. sidetracked, but let, let let's go was, there for a second. It was a simple idea. Look, it was a simple idea. 
we have birthdays every year. Our birthdays are typically about us celebrating ourselves. Um, we get gifts uh, often that we don't want or need. We throw ourselves parties. Uh, often other people throw parties for us that we don't necessarily even enjoy. Um, and I thought, what if we could reclaim the birthday as a moment of generosity? Um, what if we could make our birthdays about others and and involve our, our friends and our family and our community in significant change around the world? You know, I said, look, here's the sticky marketing idea. Let's turn them into fundraisers and let's have people ask for their age in dollars or pounds or, or euros. Mm-hmm. So I, I tried this by doing my 32nd birthday. And I said, hey, if you've got $32, please donate $32 for my 32nd birthday. 100% of the money will go help people get clean water and we'll prove exactly where every dollar goes. And to my surprise, uh, my goal was $32,000, which was ambitious. But this idea spread and I wound up raising $59,000. And then a seven-year-old kid in Texas took the idea and he said, I'm turning seven and I want $7 donations for my birthday. Mm. And he started knocking on doors, telling the story, talking about water, wound up raising $22,000, seven-year-old kid. We had 89-year-olds donate their birthday, uh, asking for $89. And it was a kind of beautiful, multi-layered idea because so many kids in, in around the world are dying before they reach their fifth birthday because they've had dirty water. And, you know, we realized that as we donated our birthdays, people could actually have more birthdays. They could live longer. They could live healthier. Uh, they could thrive with clean water. And, and our friends don't want to get us crap anyway. You know, we don't right. want to get our friends, you know, an iTunes gift card or a wallet <laughs> or a handbag. Especially you know, the iTunes scarf gift card. or socks or, or, or whatever, right? Right, right, right. So, right. so people would much rather give to a cause that you care about. So yeah. this movement has helped us now get um, over 2 million people clean water around the world. Uh, over 100,000 people have donated their birthdays. They've raised over $70 million. Um, and in fact, if anyone is just interested in learning more, you could just go to charitywater.org slash birthdays. Um, even if your birthday is thirteen, you know, is is um, thirteen days from now or eleven months from now, you can learn more. You can pledge, and we make it so easy. Um, I've done eight birthdays now. Uh, my son did his first birthday uh, when he was one, and and people just love it, mm. uh, and they love being able to see the impact of of seeing something that was really focused on us turned to help others. It's a great So Debesh Mo yeah. donated their birthdays. Will Smith donated his birthday. Kristen Bell donated her birthday. Tony Hawk, um, the founders of Twitter and Spotify and people at Apple. Uh, it's been an amazing just everyday people, uh, kids donating their birthdays to, you know, to huge uh, executives. And it's, it's helped us raise a lot of awareness and raise a lot of money. And it's one of the reasons why you're one of the most, uh, the 10 most innovative um you know, people in business today, most creative people in business. It's um, it's those little ideas that come so quickly and then afterwards they have such an impact. Um, as we're coming slowly to an end here, I need to ask you this one question. Um, what is one word that, th that can describe your brand? So I know you believe in simplicity. It's important for the organization. Um, this is brand simplicity at its core. Everything Charity Water does, everything it stands for, all condensed into that one word that I call your brand DNA. Can you think about um, one word? Yeah, yeah, in, in, inspired. Great. Yeah, Insp I mean, we are, we are trying to inspire people. We are inspired by 
the stories of courage and heroism, we're inspired by our local partners. We're inspired by our volunteers. Hmm. We're inspired by the beneficiaries out there, the women that are walking for water, that are providing for their families uh, under dire circumstances. We're inspired by our donors. We're inspired by our team members that we get to work with. So it's, uh, it's my favorite word for the brands. Um, and, and hopefully we're able to continue inspiring others to join us. And I think you just have um, in, in your book, you stated and you stated this earlier in, in the podcast too, that good branding is key to charity water success. What does branding mean to you? I mean, I, you know, gosh, there's so many definitions. I think, you know, branding is the perception. Like it's how people think of us. It's when they, does charity water bring a smile <clears throat> to their face? Uh, do they trust us? Do they believe that we are a bunch of, hardworking, intelligent, passionate people that are, are doing this for the right reasons, that are trying to use our time and our talents and our money in the service of others, in the service of clean water. Uh, it's all of these little, little ideas and moments and brushes with a person at Charity Water or the brand or a video uh, or, or an image um, or a quote uh, that adds up to, you know, to the brand. Um, and I think, you know, I guess branding is is the things that we do to not protect that, but really move it forward, uh, to continue inspiring, to continue designing with excellence and integrity, uh, to continue telling stories that move people towards a greater generosity and compassion and a better version of themselves. It's it's the sum of it all, absolutely. I, I want to I want to urge everyone um, to pick up a copy of Scott's book entitled Thirst. Um, proceeds go to Charity Water, and that's right. Yep, I yep, don't make a penny. You will do yourself a favor just to unlock the engaging digital component of the book, which is so cool. I got so sucked into this yesterday. It's a wonderfully curated and displayed content. Um, but Scott, what do you want listeners to do to help your cause? Where where else would you want them to yeah. go to be part of the change? I think so. There's a video that we made uh, as we turned 10. It's called The Spring. And it, it's really our story. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's an exercise in storytelling and branding. Um, it's now gotten over 20 million views uh, across platforms. Um, but people could watch that. They could learn about The Spring, which is this new community we're building uh, now across 110 countries of, of people who are showing up for clean water every month. Uh, in the same way that they might show up for Netflix or Spotify uh, or Apple Music. Um, so it's, it's a community called The Spring. And you could share the film. You could, you could watch the film. You could join us in The Spring. Um, or you could just post it. And so many people have learned about Charity Water um, coming across uh, a video, specifically this video. Um, so that's at, it's pretty easy to remember. It's just charitywater.org slash The Spring. We'll link that uh, to or it, yeah. Yeah, or even thespring.com. So I'd say uh, learn a little more. I think, you know, it's one thing to hear me talk about it. It's, it's another to see the images, to see the video of, um, of people suffering uh, and the need, but also the amazing release. You get to see wells being drilled. You get to see people drinking clean water for the very first time in their life. Um, and I would say it's, a, it's an inspiring video, I think. So we'd love your help. Watch it. Maybe join us in the spring and then just help us share it. Because, you know, so many of your friends uh, don't know about this issue, have never heard about us. And, and this is how we've grown, really, through, through word of mouth. 
absolutely. Thank you, Scott, from the bottom of my heart. I know you need to go. Um, thanks for taking the time during your hectic schedule and for sharing your stories and advice with our listeners. I'm forever grateful for the time you spend with us and for the positivity, the inspiration, and the hope you provide through Charity Water. Oh. Of course. Well, listen, come visit in uh, New York City. I'd love to show you around headquarters. And um, thanks so much for, for just investing time to learn about us and, and doing your research. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, Will. My pleasure. And thanks to everyone for listening. And please support this podcast so we can turn advertising free and solely listener supported. Just like Yakub Yassin from Cairo, Egypt, Chris Wirtz from New Orleans, Abda from Karlsdorf Neutat in Germany, Devroni Liaisoy Lumandan from Sabah, Malaysia, Pablo Valles, who I don't know where he's from, Rod from Fort Mill in South Carolina, and last but not least, and this is just too awesome, Victoria Harrison from New York City, whose husband you just listened to for the past 45 minutes and who has been integral in the creation of the Charity Water brand. Wow, this is amazing and what a truly international group. All of these new subscribers joined on the Brandster level and are now part of my monthly group calls. Join them by heading over to patreon.com slash hitting the mark to show your support. And please leave a quick rating and review wherever you listen to the show. Hitting the Mark is currently brought to you by Finian, a brand consultancy creating strategic, verbal, and visual brand clarity. You can learn more at finian.com. The Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. And I will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark.